Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 97, Too Many Places I've Gotta See. This week, we're discussing season 4, episode 20 of Buffy, The Yoko Factor, and series 7, episode 4 of Doctor Who, The Power of Three. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Okay. The Yoko Factor. Um, yeah. oh, oh, so sorry. I I was going to cut out. right in. Okay. I, no, I was so. just going to say I, I, I wussed out. I did not sing the title <laughs> line. Sing the lyrics. <laughs> sing the lyrics. That was, yeah. that was great. <laughs> <laughs> singing then, then, then just ah <laughs> spike turns up was not good uh, fabulous um so yeah i mean you mentioned a couple minutes ago that this is a well-received fan and critic mm. favorite and um and i can see why it's not necessarily um one that jumped out to me like that like it's not like i knew it like like hush like i know the name of it it has like right. like i didn't necessarily know that going in but once you say that i can kind of definitely see why that is um i think there's mm-hmm. a lot to talk about and a lot of yeah good uh, character stuff in this episode we, yeah and without getting into all that which i mean we will get we into will. it but like without doing that immediately mm-hmm. like i think i think there's a couple reasons for it one is like it's it's got a it's got quite a very complex but seamless structure to it yeah. and it like there there's very much i mean it, not surprisingly perhaps given that Whedon is a Shakespeare fan mm. but i was going to say there there there's a lot of sort of shakespearean uh sort of movement to the plot you know in in a way of like you're positioning all these people throughout the episode uh, to kind of get them to this end point, which of course the end point is to be continued. Mm, so like, right. <laughs> it, it's not even like a singular story. Like it, it'll, it'll go next week as well. But, but you do have this sort of like complex weaving of characters and it's really not until about three quarters of the way through or maybe two thirds of the way through or something, but like most of the way through <laughs> that, like, you're kind of like you really start to see where things are going. What's this so episode that, really about? Yeah. yeah, yeah, like with re, especially with regard to sort of Spike's, uh, you know, his meddling, getting, his, yeah. yeah, getting in there and and really doing stuff. But also in the sense of like that, you have recurring themes, not just between like Spike and the Scoobies, but also with like the Initiative and Riley yeah. and sort of stuff splitting up there and, and then also having Angel come in yep. and inserting his method into um you know sort of Buffy and Riley's relationship. So like there there's right. sort well, of and like also echoes like, like Giles and Xander and all the stuff they've had to kind of struggle with this season too. Like like it has I think I said um even though I should know this because there's only so many episodes left, so it makes sense. But, like, even setting that aside, it has the feel of, like, the beginning of, like, a climax. Like, like mm-hmm. you have a sense at the end of this, all the issues that are, like, season-long issues are, like, yeah. all of a sudden coming to a head and, like, interacting with each other. So, like, mm-hmm. you have, like, Xander's kind of 
feelings of inadequacy and Giles kind of same issues, I guess. And then like, you know, Angel coming in there at the same time and Buffy and Riley and, and Willow and Tara's relationship and all this stuff kind of happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and so, um, like for example, uh, critically touched, which is a website that, you, you know, has lots of reviews mm-hmm. for lots of different things and has been reviewing stuff for a while. Um, says pretty much exactly that same thing. Like it, it's basically the payoff we've been waiting for all season. And, and I wanted to talk about this a little bit. I mean, obviously we still have more episodes to go this season, mm-hmm. but I mean, like you said, we are coming down to the wire here and you can see like one of the, one of the criticisms with season four is that it seems to lose its way that in, in respect to like the first three seasons and especially season three, which I've stated before that I think is sort of the strongest as like a whole season. Like, you know, there's not really any really bad episodes in it. Yeah. There's, it's really pretty strong throughout that. One of the, one of the things with season four is that it, it actually, uh, sort of loses its way, you know, Buffy goes to college and there's some, you know, like people aren't quite sure. And and we've seen like, you know, okay, yeah, you have like beer bad, you know, maybe isn't the best episode, you know, this and that, but like, I kind of think that's the point. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I have to be careful because like, I don't know how much of that is me just being a fan of Whedon and of the show like wanting to sort of forgive him and rationalize, you know, things that are, but I also like, given that we know that Whedon does plan out stuff by seasons, like he must've known this is where it was coming to. Mm. So, so the slow sort of pulling away and maybe focusing too much on one character over another, and even something like Oz leaving and not, not really being something that's, uh, was planned at the beginning of the season, but kind of works yeah. when you think about like yeah. where the season ends up. Like, I feel like that, that was kind of the point is that yes, the stories do kind of lose their way a little bit mm-hmm. and that's the plan. So I, I tend to agree with you because I think you can, you can demonstrably show that it's part of the story it's not just, right. oh, the stories have lost steam or the writers are running out of ideas or the characters don't have the same drive that they used to. Uh, but that could be true. But you can you can definitively look at the stories that are being told and see it's about, you know, Xander not knowing what to do with himself, you know, Mm-hmm. while the, like it's there's that me- I mean, there's just that, the sheer number of jobs he has that, this that meta <laughs> element of we know yeah. this is different and not all of our characters are completely comfortable with it you know that mm-hmm. it's like a struggle you know and even the ones that are more successful like like willow still feels that she's changed so much and feels alienated from the group you know so like whether you like it or not I think it's pretty clear that it's part of it, it's the point insofar as it's part of the story, you know, like mm-hmm. it's not just like, well, the story's about other things and they 
aren't doing as strong stories or they don't know what they're doing. It's like, no, the story's about that. Um, and like whether or not, I mean, maybe Joss intentionally said, okay, the first year of college, a big theme is going to be like that kind of disorientation of a new setting and not knowing what to do and the group kind of not being sure that it can hold together anymore. Or what I think is probably more likely is they got started working on it, realized that there were these issues and then incorporated it into the story. So like you don't necessarily plan for Oz to leave, but you find a way to make that thematically important. Or you find that week after week, we're struggling to come up with ways for Giles to get involved. So mm -hmm. you make the fact that Giles is struggling to get involved be part of the yeah. story, that that's what his story's about. So like, you know, you turn, it's, I, and that's the same thing, like the, you know, the way that, uh, you know, Doctor Who uses the Doctor Light as a virtue. Like, well, if we can't have the Doctor this week, we'll make the story about the fact that you can't have the Doctor this week. And right. like, what should be a thing which is bad turns into something really good, you know? Yeah, right, and illuminating. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's like that idea of, you know, like artists, you know, when you're drawing something, you don't actually draw the object, you draw like the spaces around the object. Right. You know? And like, and, you know, and... Whedon is famous for the retconning. Like, he's someone who's, I think, sitting there thinking, analyzing the story that he's telling, and like, finding ways to make that story right. better. Even, right. even if he realizes this is a weakness, we're going to find a way to work it into like okay we know yeah. that it's a weakness and we can make it a strength by like incorporating that into the story you know right um and it's like uh, who doesn't feel completely lost and confused their first year of college i think that's completely appropriate yeah. to or when your friends all go away to college even and more don't. so like, yeah 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 so um, i think that's totally appropriate to the feel like the tone of the yeah. season and everything um, and just to quote another reviewer, this one from the BBC actually uh, said a lot of very similar things to what you were just saying. So like basically that with this season, suddenly all of the little quirks – or with this episode, I mean suddenly all the little quirks of the season, Xander's job, Giles is drinking, Tara and Willow, yeah. you know, uh, their sort of halting relationship um, all come together in a big messy splat of a splat of a squabble. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and, and I mean, that's really what it is. It's, it's yeah. all of these people who've been falling away together suddenly come crashing back right. and it's, they're not the friend. They're not, I mean, we're, we'll be talking about the power of three yeah. and, and Dr. Who, this is like what happens when the power of three splits Split up. Yeah. four, if you include Giles, sure. you know, like, but, but the whole, the whole triptych thing that we've been talking yep. about since the beginning of the series, yep. you know, kind of becomes, and and it and it's not the first time we sort of pointed it out, but I think this is like the vindication of that. Like it's not just how we've, you know, we're sort of reading into things. So I, I think you're, uh, thank you for sort of confirming my <laughs> my analysis of the season because I think I think it gets unfair because it, it's not to say that there aren't bad episodes this season because yeah. i do think unlike season three like i do think that there actually are some episodes here where it's just kind of like yawn yeah but i also think that like even those sort of 
help like you were saying like they they sort of help just kind of display like what it means when you don't have sort of the reliable friends that you had all through high school and that kind of thing right so there's there's a little more weight added to it yeah. in this respect yeah definitely yeah and and i think kind of the point always of that kind of soul triptych is and and of the idea of the power of three is you're stronger together so here as we head into the climax of the season you know to have them you know, going their separate ways sort of angry and kind of bitter you know is mm -hmm. uh not good right um so yeah and i mean just the last thing kind of about that too before we like start talking about the episode in particular too it also one of the things i kind of liked about it which also i think kind of gave it more weight too is there was like action in the episode but it came earlier than it usually does like it struck me on the first watch that like you're waiting for the big usually like in the last like 10 minutes there's like the big climactic showdown or fight with whatever the monster is and that's your climax like and then maybe you, like, maybe you have character stuff before that, and maybe you have a denouement after that, but, like, that's usually where, like, the climax is, whereas here, you know, Buffy does some kind of fighting earlier on, and there's, like, little skirmishes here and there or whatever, but the climax is very clearly the fight. Like, that's, like, the big where all the weight is. That's the kind of them standing around in the house, like, yelling at each other. Um, yeah, the right, the argument. The argument, the, yeah, not right. a physical fight. Not a like physical a, fight. A, yeah, the the argument between themselves. So, mm -hmm. and like just the fact that that isn't something that happens a lot made that even feel more significant. Like, this isn't just a little squabble, but then we band together to beat the bad guy. This is yeah. like, the, the conflict is between the, each other. You know, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. it should not like that's clearly what if if everything's going well, that's not the case. Like you should be fighting the atom, not each other, you know, so yeah. it kind of lends more weight to the fact that this isn't just an average fight. This is like a big deal. Yeah. And and that fight, of course, is contrasted with the beginning of the episode where you're having all of these bondings occur between various of the Scoobies with people who are not Scooby, you know, people, like yeah. with other people. So it's, you know, it's Willow and Tara who are, you know, bonding right. over their new cat. Right. Well, I mean, first you have like Spike and Adam bonding, but right. like, yeah. we'll get to them in a minute. Um, you, you know, Willow and Tara, and then you have, um, I mean, it's Xander and Riley mm. who are bonding over their hatred for Angel. And then right. it's, you know, um, uh, uh, Buffy. Well, you know, Buffy's alone, like, just kind of coming back. So, like, even that sort of is, you, you know, at the end, what's her final line? You know, I see now why there are no prophecies about a Slayer and her friends. Yeah. Because, you know, even at the beginning of the episode, there's sort of an echo there. And, and then... Um, you have Giles and his music or whatever, but like, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's like these, it, it's very much, it's very much highlighting that fact in the beginning that you have all of the Scoobies who were such a close knit group, yeah. you know, as little as a year ago mm -hmm. that 
now they're all off doing their own separate things and that when they come together, they're now all still thinking their separate ways and, and, you know, having their, their separate activities and separate friendships from each other and that causing sort of a dissension between what they think how they think the others perceive them. Mm. Not even like, it's not even because, right. because that's the whole point of the episode, right? It's not right. about the fact that the others see them in a certain way. It's about their own fears and insecurities yeah. about how others see them. Yeah. And yeah. So I think, I think that whole, that whole fight scene and the contrast with how it starts. And I mean, they compare and contrast because there's like comparisons and, and you know, you see the, the, with all those people, like it's kind of going well between all of them, but then like, you get them all together in a room and suddenly things are right. not so good. Yeah. So Yeah, all that they can't all that kind of festering resentment can't not come out, yeah. you know, when they're in the same space together. Yeah. Um And and right, and but again, like it's not even that it's it's that resentment based on lies and insecurities. Oh, yeah. Like that's yeah. that's the thing that that's the frustrating part about the whole thing, yeah. right? Is that it's it's not real. It's not actual yeah. things to be mad about. Yeah. Um, well, and so the other thing I wanted to kind of point out that's sort of overarching is just this idea of the Yoko factor, you know, before we talk about mm-hmm. the characters individually and stuff, but, you know, Spike refers to that, you know. Um, and you kind of asked me last week, who's Yoko in this scenario? And I kind of threw out a guess. I think I said, like, maybe Riley, like, he's maybe the new Scooby, so he's going to come in and break up the band or whatever. Um, But I like the fact that Spike, his explanation of the Yoko factor, because I'm a big Beatles fan, I don't know, you know. And to the extent that, like, I have, like, books and DVDs about. So, like, I I love the Beatles, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know that the place of Yoko in the band is very interesting because you have her as this sort of outside, you know, it was always that fab four together all the time. And this kind of romanticized and idealized idea of what that is. And then you have suddenly this girlfriend who's there at all the sessions and there never used to be anybody else there. And she's Mm. with John all the time and she never leaves them alone and they go off and they do their own thing. You know, they get Mm -hmm. married, they do bed ins for peace and whatever else they were doing, make their own albums. And of course, then when the band breaks up and of course she's a woman, do you always blame the woman? But (laughs) you know, the, so of course when the band breaks up, everybody blames Yoko. Clearly she's the reason that the Beatles broke up and it's not true. You know, was she a factor? Sure, and probably. But, you know, when you actually look at a very well-documented, you know, history of the band, you realize this is problems going back years, you know. And, 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 you know, and problems with, you know, each other. But all you need is, you know, that one outside... Right. perspective and the house of cards falls over you know right. um you know and spike's doing it more deliberately than than you know yoko did i don't think yoko tried to break up the band whereas spike's coming in here trying to manipulate and so 
this disagreement and resentment and everything. But even just mm -hmm. like, if you look at like all these other outsiders who are now part of the group, like Riley's not trying to upset the Scooby group, neither's Tara, neither's Anya, but just their, their presence, their very presence draws the others away from, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of core four that they had. So, you know, and some of it doesn't even have to do with those new people at all. Some of it is just their interpersonal baggage, you know, because they've been friends for so long. They have all sorts of, you know, Xander's got all sorts of insecurities about his place, you know, not being as, you know, you know, maybe not being quite as powerful as Buffy or Willow. Like he can't do the same things as them, you know, um, or whatever. Maybe Buffy envies them the kind of normalcy that she wishes she could have. Like, they all have their own issues that are playing into this, yeah. too. Um, yeah. So, you know, I like the kind of nod to that as, like, that is what happens among groups, and that's just sort of... A, it, I, on the one hand, I want to say it's natural. On the other hand, it doesn't have to be. You know, like... Like you sure. said, a lot of this is just their own insecurity and paranoia. And if they actually did sit down and talk about it, they could realize that a lot of what they're fighting about is, you know, nonsense, you know, or based on fairly minor complaints, you know, or, or things that aren't even true yeah. to begin with. Um, right. So right. it's natural in the sense that this is exactly what happens to groups after they've been together for a long time. But also, you do feel frustrated because it doesn't have to be that way. You know, they should be able to get over it and, you know, still be together, I guess. So, yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah. But I also like the fact that that's also not the only group in, like, being broken up. You know, because so, you also get Forrest refer to Buffy as, again, like this Yoko figure. Like, we we never had disagreements in the initiative before you showed right. up. Riley right. never really took any of his girlfriends this seriously before you showed up. Like now right. he's like, Lennon, he's like, it's like, gosh, she has to come to all the meetings. He has to spend all his time with her. Like, right. Right. really? Like, why can't he just have his girlfriend that he goes to at the end of the day and stay away and not have her come in here and mess up the little thing, you know? So like, and you have groups all over the place being disrupted by each other, like, you know. And you even get that same sense um, in the discussions between Colonel McNamara and the guy in Washington, I forget his name, uh, at the beginning where it's, you know, it's like, oh, you know, this, this Slayer woman, we don't have a lot on her, but like, it's kind of her fault that Riley right. went awry, yep. you know, like, you know, so again, there's the blame the woman right. factor, right. right? It's, it's, it's that, that idea of, yeah, like it was, She's things were unicorns influence. and roses before yeah. you, you know, you came and, um, but that's clearly not true because like we, I mean, Maggie Walsh was, you know, working on Adam well before right. Buffy ever showed up, you know, like I feel like, things would have still kind of gone downhill had she, you right. know, done what she was doing. Well, and we know and... from our perspective that <clears throat> Buffy wasn't causing trouble. She was revealing trouble that was already there, just right. unacknowledged, exactly. you know. Right, right. And 
And that's always the way, right? It's the it's the one who points things out who gets blamed <laughs> right. for, pointing for pointing things out. Like, well, like you created the problem. Yeah. 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 I'm just telling you the emperor has no clothes. I didn't strip him. Right. You know, right. like yeah. come on. Um Yeah. So yeah, it's that it's that kind of thing. Uh so which is fun to deal with in a way, I guess, but you know, not really. Uh yeah. So, so yeah, good title. Like, I like the way that that kind of makes parallels within the story between, like, the different groups that, mm-hmm. that we have going on. Um, so, so, I guess... I, 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 I think, though, like, if we're... Like, you know, like you said, like, there's, there's Spike who sort of dons the Yoko cloak, mm-hmm. if I could use that analogy. Yes. <laughs> um, or... or or the the Yoko mythos, yeah. if if you will, like yeah. it, it's, the Yoko stereotype, yeah, um, and and plays it up. But I, I I like that we get sort of him and Adam sort of being chummy, and and you you see this sort of plan developing, and and there's this realization, right? I mean, go, goes way back to our episode of you know a slayer with friends and family mm. like this this is again like this what happens when you you take this concept of a novel slayer and then strip away the novelty of it right. and make her just a slayer again mm. um without the friends and family part and this is what they're trying to do like this you know spike is it's funny that spike realizes the problem and adam sort of realizes the solution almost immediately mm. like well then take them away like if if the special thing is about Buffy is that you can't defeat her because she has friends and family you know it's not well how do we defeat Buffy it's well how do we take away the thing that makes her invincible or hard to kill anyway Um, yeah and that's what I was thinking like when she said that line about oh I see why there's no prophecies about a chosen one and her friends and it's like okay that's true but that's also the reason why you survived a lot longer than all the other slayers that have come before you. Right. Like, maybe there right. haven't been any prophecies like that. Maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> like maybe that's what sets you apart, you know? So rather than mm-hmm. that validating your own, like the isolation that you feel, that's a reason to cling more strongly to those relationships that you do have, you know? Um, yeah, and and Adam does kind of realize that instinctively is, if that's the difference, then, you know, that's what we need to do to take it away. And of course, he loves Helter Skelter, like any good sure. psychopath would. Um, so. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's interesting that he kind of knows too how to like rely on spike to do that like for all that he's like chaotic adam goes about things very like deliberately and methodically it's like the ultimate goal is sort of chaos and destruction but he'll let spike like manipulate things so that they can be like ripe so that when he unleashes his plan everything's ready so like you see him being very like deliberate and calculating with the way that he sort of arranges things. Yeah. Um. 
Yeah, I don't know. Well, I mean, I guess the other thing too, like to jump ahead slightly, you know, we get the the cliffhanger of Riley coming to him in the cave. Um and he, you know, kills Forrest earlier in in the episode. Um and you know, you know, Riley says like I'm here and Adam says I was waiting for you. So like, you know, I don't quite know I could be wrong about this. My 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 gut feeling is that this is all part of the plan that, you know, the the killing of Forrest was, you know, a way to provoke Riley into you know, coming here yeah. and that, you know, this, you know, I don't know what he's going to do to Riley exactly, but you know, he might kill him, he might not, I don't, I don't know, but, or he might try, um, but I don't know, like, is, are we seeing, like, the first move in the, like, you know, in, in the chess match, I guess, so, yeah, I don't know, you can't answer that, that's just, yeah, I'm, the things that are running through my head with Adam. I'm trying to think of, of, what you can say a couple not... of things to point out that we've already seen, but without like hinting at what's to come. Mm. Um, so the only thing that I'll say that may, so we've seen Riley and Adam together once mm-hmm. before, I think. And we've sort of noted um, in previous episodes, how they both are in, in a way sort of, uh, uh, children of maggie walsh Mm -hmm. so this is kind of like maybe the the you know the coming back together of that like quasi relationship that they have you know and so sort of going towards the culmination of that so um yeah i i don't want to give too much away but i'll that that's kind of i think the direction where maybe we want to look at like this is this is something that's been building to sort of slowly in the background and yeah and yeah that in a way they're both sort of creations of maggie uh and we'll see how that plays (laughs) i don't i don't want to say too much more than that yeah but yeah okay well let's talk about buffy and Riley and Angel, because we get another crossover this week. Yeah. And just like Buffy, Although, he kind of turns up halfway through um, unexpectedly. I, I wasn't, yeah. again, they caught me again, so I wasn't expecting him. Um, and I, I, like, I like this episode mm-hmm. overall. Like, I like the, the sort of moving around of the pieces and kind of like what we were talking about before, but the overall structure of it, I, I do kind of feel like the angel appearance is a bit forced in this one. Like, okay, he wanted to come apologize and stuff, but I feel, I, and I mean, they call this out explicitly in the dialogue. So it's not even like they didn't know that this was, but it's, it's like the whole, like, you know, Buffy's like, you got really self-righteous and yelled at me for coming and coming to your city and whatever. 
and now you're doing it to me. And I'm kind of like, yeah. Yeah. Like, why are you doing this, Joss? Why are you giving him, you know, letting him go? So I, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like, you know, you, there's the same accusation that he levels at Buffy. Sure. Where, you know, he's like, you didn't, you didn't come here because of faith. You didn't come, or you didn't come here because I was in danger. I'm in danger every day. You came here, you know, because faith was here and because I don't know, you You're thought worried, something would yeah. happen and, you know, like, like it has nothing to do with, and it's like that same kind of thing. It's like now he's coming. Why? Because he didn't handle things so well before. Like mm-hmm. what makes him think that it wasn't going to turn out badly? So, you know, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I mean, I think the oh, the, question, the question for me is what I presume this is the last I could be wrong. It seems as though this is potentially the last crossover we're going to get of the season. Right? Maybe. Maybe not. Of the season? Of the season. It's safe to say it's the last okay. of the season. Yes. So, a big question to me would be and would be like a okay you have to pick one or the other is what uh what note do you want to end on for the buffy angel relationship for the season do we want to end the season in a place of where we ended last episode with angel where they were not on good terms at all you know Mm -hmm. where like he angrily said get out of my show and she like stormed off in a huff you know, or do you want to end them, like, somewhat reconciled and at peace? So, mm-hmm. and I think the usefulness of this appearance depends on which, what, how you answer that question. Like, I mean, and clearly Perhaps. you can see the one they chose, which is, like, they didn't want to go into the next seasons with them, like, angry and resentful and like not speaking to each other like for whatever reason they said no we got to have them kind of like you know make up I guess so mm-hmm. you know I think it's not necessarily the most interesting part of the episode but I think if you want to have them on good terms with each other it's like kind of necessary like you have to show them that that wasn't the kind of fight where they would just sort of get over it like i think you have to show them reconciling so and i guess better to do it in person than to like you know have him call her on the phone or something like lame i don't know (laughs) i guess except that it's like immediately the next day right right you know what i mean whereas like yeah it's a little it's a little awkward i guess um I, i feel like i feel like I don't, you know, whatever. It's fine. It, it's like I don't mean to make it a huge thing. I do feel it's a little forced. Mm-hmm. I, I, the fight between him and Riley is clearly like a cloud, a crowd pleaser. Like sure. you know, this is like, yeah. Oh, you know, Buffy's two big, yeah. buff boyfriends. You know, right. Buffy's big buff boyfriends. Uh, <laughs> you know, are are gonna get into it now? Yeah. You know, let's watch the hot guys fight. Right. Right. Which is fine. I mean, I mean hey, that happens with women and I'm okay with that. So sure, why not? You know, like let's let's yeah. watch them fight and throw each other around and sort of both of them 
limp off and yeah and you get a little bit of like cool. and shipping fun out of it you know yeah yeah so like that's that's all good fun and whatever um i do like that angel does kind of just go away and yeah. isn't there like for the rest of the for episode the rest, to yeah. help out and like um especially for like the big argument at the end like i'm kind of glad that like it you know because it is the same kind of thing where like okay Angel in his show was sort of carving out his territory, but like at the same time, you need to have it be like clear, like you know, Angel's done with Buffy, yeah. so wipe your hands of it. And this fight, even though Angel was a significant part of like the first three seasons mm-hmm. and like all of that, like this is now between like that core, yeah, group this of isn't the about Scoobies. Him at all. Yeah. It's not a right. So, like, to have him leave before that happens, I think, is pretty important as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, Um, And I guess it's just inevitable at some point that you have to have the confrontation between Riley and Angel. You know? Um, Yeah, I mean, right. Like, because you get the the declaration of love. Yeah. I mean, it comes after the fight here. Right. But, like, it's not like we haven't seen them growing closer together. Right. Right. I mean, you know, that's that's been a hallmark of their well their relationship like is that they are you know coming close so now you get this declaration and and you know you get the sort of the awkward it, it's funny that riley sort of mimics tara's behavior of you know well if you're going to reject me i understand just do it quick yeah. <laughs> you know like so now i mean a a little, a little, I, well, actually kind of a lot less reason for Riley to think that than Tara had. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I do like that. Like, he's the insecure one here. Like, he's the one who's not yeah. quite thinking straight. And then you get you get the statement of, you know, I love you so much. I can't think straight. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think stupid things. And, and, and you get Buffy's admission of that, too. And, yeah. like... So, you know, you get this sense of of Riley's sticking around for a while. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, unless... Unless Adam, Adam him. spears him. Un- unless Adam kills him three seconds into the next episode. Right, right. I'm not going to say if that happens or Always not. Always a possibility. But, but, you know, at least insofar as we know now, and insofar as the characters know, like, this isn't, this isn't a fleeting thing. It's not, right. you know... Um, What's that guy's name from the early on in the season who slept with Buffy? Parker. Parker. Yes, thank you. I don't know why I couldn't remember Parker. Uh, we would all like to forget oh, Parker. I hate Parker. Uh, you know, but this isn't, obviously that wasn't Buffy who wanted to walk away. But, you, you know, you get the sense this isn't a fleeting relationship like that. Like, yeah. this has clearly been building. And and so, in that respect, yeah, there's going to at some point be a clash. Might as well get it over with. Yeah. Earlier rather than later, I guess, if you have to. Yeah. Um, so, and then, you know, the whole angel sort of admitting he doesn't like him. Right, right. With a, with a wry grin right. as he walked away. and um, So, so yeah, you need all of that. Right, playing the part of, of the ex, which is kind of what, right. what Buffy felt accused of being earlier. It was like just the jealous ex. So, angel kind of defers to that okay well i can play that part too and then we're right. even you know so mm-hmm. um yeah and then i felt like 
like like you said last time, like this is kind of the breakthrough in that relationship of how the shows don't have to bend over backwards to incorporate each other or try to feel like they need to like be working towards the same thing all the time. You know, mm -hmm. Angel kind of, okay, they are reconciled now and Angel goes back. So you have this sense of like, like a little bit of relief there. Like they're not going to come and make those same demands of each other. Like they've kind of accepted that each of them have moved on. Um, so yeah. And it's, yeah. and then it's, it's nice then to go from that to the, the declaration of commitment with Riley. Um, yeah, I, it's, it wasn't funny, but there was a bit of me that kind of had to smile when like Riley's declaring his love for Buffy. And then she's like, I have to tell you something. <laughs> your best friend just died. Like, it was just this, like, huge buzzkill. Like, he's ready for yeah. more, like, intimate romantic talk. And it's like, that's right. not what Buffy wants to talk about at all. Like, she had to, like, tell him this huge downer that she couldn't because, like, Angel came and interrupted everything. So they've right. been fighting all this time. So right. there's... I don't think it was funny. It just struck me as, like, oh, poor yeah. Riley. Like... Just as yeah. he's getting to this place now, he's completely overwhelmed with this news. So, well, and and this is the the Whedon sentiment, right? Yeah. That he he excels at of the you know what's the worst possible thing that could happen in this moment yeah. for this character. You know, he's expressing his love for Buffy, and just finds out, you know, just hears her expressing her love, and now his best friend is dead. Right. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, he can't his even best friend, enjoy, enjoy this moment. His best friend who, by the way, hated Buffy and was with her at the moment when he died. Like, you know what I mean? Right. Like, it's and, like, and, like, and who, by the way, like they've, they didn't part on very good terms either. Like, it's not like, right. like they've been at odds for a long time now and, and not seeing eye to eye and disagreeing and fighting and everything. So, you know, he he didn't even get to, like, reconcile that relationship either. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, in general, knowing that the initiative is out there and not having a very successful go of it. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I mean, he, he responds to that call, which winds up him, you know, an angel fighting. And, you know, to, to see his initiative buddies getting the crap beat out of right. them, you know, by someone who's supposedly on the side of the good people, right. you know, and it's right. like, you know, right. all this, all this stuff going on. And, and we can see sort of, um, I mean, we talked a little bit about the people initiative, but just like even the initiative as an institution, mm -hmm. we see like the, the people, uh, you know, uh, McNamara again, you know, sort of commenting on, the fact that all of their facilities are filling up and like, mm -hmm. there's this overrun of demons and whatever, like that are kind of going crazy. And like it, like the place just looks less, you know, uh, uh, clean and well lit, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, as, as maybe it used to. And just that kind of thing. Like there's a sort of disheveled appearance kind of like, you know, the, the tears that are ripping apart the Scoobies are, are right. starting to infiltrate the initiative as well. And, 
Right. So that's right. Like I hadn't really thought about that, but it doesn't have that that pristine white like lab coat, you know, sterile kind of thing that it yeah. did at the beginning. Like it's, it, it feels more industrial military kind of like yes, you know, um, and and war zone ish. Right, like right. that. Like they've been. It's not a new military institution so much as like. A, a frontline right. battlefield house, right, like, right. Kind of, or maybe not frontline, but a little behind the front lines. Like that, there's this, yeah, this sort of like, yeah. Anyway, I, we could take that metaphor further, but you know what I mean. Like that, it that there's definitely it's fallen on hard times, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> uh, in the same way as sort of everyone else has. So, yeah. Um. Well. So for the Scoobies themselves, mm-hmm. I kind of want to talk about like, I guess that kind of core four um, or like the soul triptych and Giles. Um, and maybe we could talk about like what their issues are with each other, either real or imagined. Um, yeah. So, well, I'm trying to think of where to start. Um, well, we could go in the order that Spike does. So sure. he co- he comes to Giles first, right? Right, right. Um, <laughs> which, <laughs> Playing Freebird. Great scene. Oh, yeah. So first of all, uh, this is the second time we've seen Giles playing guitar and singing. Yes. The first time, he wasn't actually playing guitar. Although I believe that's his voice. I believe that's him singing, but like overdubbed the first time. Okay. This time, it's actually him playing and singing. Uh-huh. Like, this is all him. Yeah, yeah. Playing, whatever. Um, but just that moment of like he's going through and like the moment when he sees Spike and just oh gosh, like so gets great. completely and I mean we've all had I've literally been doing that same thing where I've been playing guitar and I look and like my daughter will be standing there and I'm like what where did you come yeah. from and why are you looking yeah, at me yeah. like like where is this why did this happen right yeah. like this so yeah. I can totally totally uh well and just that the spike that is standing thing, but... still you know he's been there for a while and he's just right. sort of like been waiting patiently for giles to notice him yeah 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 um and we've already like i think it's funny that we've already seen that you know spike is just comes waltzing in right to right uh you know giles's house unannounced right again you know, again with these they're so they're so lax with these like so cavalier, these charms yeah. on their on their rooms and their houses and stuff. Yeah. Like even and, even with Angel, you know, Buffy inviting him in, I still get nervous. Like, <laughs> you know, right. now right. he can well, just we, waltz into your dorm room whenever he wants. And, you know. And not too long ago, like with that lady who like drugged them and stuff. You know, like, right? Like you, you know see how it, easily this is abused. You know. Yeah. Um, um and they have just totally accepted spike and he's no longer you know a threat yeah, written to him them. off completely yeah. as any kind of threat yeah uh and despite his continued repetition of you guys don't seem to understand the fact that i'm evil yeah like yeah i you know you you keep treating me this way and and we see here that like he still is like he still likes the chaos yeah. he still likes you know, he might not be able to do anything directly, but he, like, once he realizes that he can, you know, sow dissension, mm-hmm. like, he jumps Enjoys into it both it. feet. Yeah. There's no hesitation. Well, leave it, like, like Adam's saying, like, 
describing how he'll make him like savage again and, and like you can see spike getting like turned on by it like like how yeah. excited this exciting yeah. this idea is um, um and, and then and just like enjoying himself with the manipulations and everything and and the expectation that he might end up getting this chip out yeah you know because of it and so like this never even seems to occur to the scooby it's not like a soul where he's just gonna like he's actively trying to get this thing out right. and given spike's you know tenacity mm. <laughs> there's reason to believe he might you actually succeed it. at some yeah. point but like they don't it doesn't even seem to phase them yeah um and we kind of see what happens so the the witch isles mm. after the funny stuff uh i mean We've seen, we've seen, and there's been sort of like light comments about his drinking this season, uh-huh. uh, and and we see that like Spike sort of goads that a little bit, and yeah. and you know the the feeling of uselessness and not having a job, and mm-hmm. oh, you know Buffy never even listened to you when you were when her you did watcher, have a job. Yeah, yeah. you know, sort you know like this whole idea of like he's just not someone that Buffy really trusts or confides or looks for advice from, you know, and that kind of thing. So, which to your question, so let's talk about is, is that real? Is that a true Mm. thing or is it just Giles own insecurities? A little of each. Mm. What are your thoughts? Well, my thought is that it's not true in that I think Buffy does and has always valued his guidance and his input. Um, what I think, to psychoanalyze him a bit, and maybe this isn't like a universal truth, but something that I've seen that I think reminds me a bit of Giles here is that there's this notion and I think especially with like adult you know men who are like used to being the the patriarch or the breadwinner or the kind of authority figure there's this notion that like your value and your authority are sort of mixed up together that like if I Mm. like if me if I'm Giles like if I don't hold my position, you know, whatever that is, either as watcher or as with a job, like, you know, as a librarian, that if I don't have those things, then the people who depend on me won't respect me anymore and they won't listen to me anymore, you know, and then they aren't going to regard me when I give them guidance or advice or whatever. So, like, Mm. his sense of worth is, in his own mind related to those things like i mean we know they're not we know giles gives the same good advice whether he's officially a watcher or not you know we know being a librarian doesn't make him any more qualified than being a retired librarian does but like for him those things are like symbolic of his status like i'm qualified to be your guide because of these other things, not like who I am or the trust that you place in me or whatever. So 
like I would say it's mostly kind of in his head, but because of the insecurity of his loss of those like status symbols, I guess. Mm. Um, and probably like if he were to ask Buffy or the others for them, nothing's changed. Like they don't care whether he gives them advice from the library or from his house, like it's the same advice. You know, but for him, that get, that makes him feel very differently, I think. Um, that would be my psychoanalysis of Giles. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, so, but then there's, I mean, I think you're right. Like, if, if you ask Buffy and them, that, like, that would be what they say. Mm. But there's also the actuality that, Except for a few times, they don't actually go to him for advice sure. and to seek out. So, like, there's there's the, the there's the sort of the conscious intellectual answer, mm-hmm. which I think you're right. Like, if if asked, they would say this was, you know, how I feel about Giles. But on the other hand, they sort of the un- unconscious answer is that they simply don't very often go to see him. And so, you know, he doesn't have a job and he doesn't do stuff, which is on him. Like, that's not, it's not up to any of them for him to find gainful employment. Um, But if if your identity is that I'm primarily a watcher and, like, Mm -hmm. the librarian stuff was just sort of undercover and... You know, but, like, I'm the one who's supposed to guide and mold young minds. Mm-hmm. Well, when the young minds stop Coming being to willing you. to be yeah, molded yeah. by you, <laughs> that presents a problem. So. Well, yeah, and, and I th- I guess. And I, I, that, I don't say any of this to, like, disregard what no, you're saying. No, I think I think. There's a bunch I of things going on. I think it just makes it more complex of an issue. Yeah, and I that, think I think it's it's, like. Rather than them not, and I don't think this is what you're saying, but like, not, it's not that they're not willing to be molded, but it's that reality of just growing older that they just aren't there as much, you know, like, even if they wanted to be molded by his ideas or come to him for advice, they just are more involved with other things because they're older, you know, like, that's just the reality of like it's it, there's like an emptiness kind of thing going on with Giles, I think. Like, you know, his kids have gone yeah. off to college, and he doesn't see them in the library every day. So he has less. He's privy to less of what they're up to, I guess. Um, so it makes him more aware of the fact that they are more independent, and you know, and more aware of the things that have changed in his own life because he doesn't have them around as much to focus on. So, yeah, I mean, probably for him, like, a mix of real issues, but maybe, um, you know, his... Not misinterpretation of those issues, but, like, his own insecurities about them kind of coloring Mm -hmm. the way that he sees things I think yeah um 
but he does get quite drunk. <laughs> Which he's no help to them drunk. And like they, they, you know, get in their fight and he just like doesn't even get involved, you know? Yeah. He just like giggles and pieces out and like goes upstairs to like <laughs> sleep off, you know? Um, yeah. So he just sort of checks out. You know, he doesn't even have the energy to argue about this, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But, I, <laughs> yeah, I love when, when like, Xander, like, stops and realizes that Tara is Willow's girlfriend. Yeah. And then you just hear Giles Bloody from upstairs. Like, Floody! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, just he hit didn't him. even yeah. know that yeah. either. <laughs> it just hit him then. Um, and and the, the other one, too, was, uh, like... Xander calls him Alfred, and he goes, "Ah, oh, you forget Alfred had a job." <laughs> so, like, yeah, I am no even, Alfred, sir. <laughs> even, even, even being like their butler would be like at least he would be contributing something right. to the group, right. you know. And like he's undressing, going upstairs, like throws his shirt on Xander's yeah, like stripping. Yeah, like he completely inappropriate yeah. behavior yeah. that normal Giles would never right. engage in. Right. But, um, and and it's not even like. Like, he's not even not normal Giles in a cool way, like, when he reverts to Ripper. You right, know, like, right. this is, like, this is like completely... Falling apart Giles. And I think, it, yeah. I think it is interesting that, like... Midlife crisis Giles. He's not one of the outliers in the sense that, like, Riley and Tara and Anya are. Like, he's not hiding in the bathroom with them. You know, like, he's there with the... Like, he's clearly one of the, like, core Scoobies. But there's still a slight remove between him and the other three that, like, I think it is kind of sure. significant that he doesn't get involved in the argument, really. Um, so, like, mm. I would say, like, he is one of in that group of really important Scoobies. But there's also a slight maybe because of the fact that he's like the older, more mature guide of them. Mm -hmm. There's like he's on a slightly different level and you have that kind of soul triptych in the middle, you know, who are the ones who you really need to work together, you know? Um, yeah. Well, and there is that sense of, of, you know, before when there might be conversations that would lead to that sort of argument, he would step up yeah. as sort of the authority figure and be like, you're all being ridiculous. You know, yeah. this is what should happen. And now let's go. And not to say that he was always right or whatever, but there was a sense that they would defer maybe to that yeah. authority or at least listen to it. And then, you know, Buffy might say something and he might say, okay, well, that's a better way to go or whatever. No, but he like, could usually like rein them in a bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He wouldn't let these sorts of conversations get way off track. Yeah. But like, it's not even like he's trying in this instance to do that and being unsuccessful. He's completely abdicating yeah. that role and, and not even being willing to get involved. And that's, that's sort of like the scarier aspect right. of like what this whole thing is that he's not even, it's not even like he can't do it. Right. He's not even willing. To right. Do it's it. that like, kind of apathy of like, well, yeah. this is pointless. So drink our troubles and, away. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, almost nihilism yeah you know in in that respect so yeah. yeah yeah just the that notion of i can't change my situation so you know so why even bother why trying? bother yeah. and whatever let's just dull the pain with any whatever yeah. we can you know yes. um yeah like so there's something at least the this the other scoobies care enough to fight about it 
you know. Mm. Um, yeah. So, so who does Spike go to next? Is it Xander? Uh, right. He asked for the army clothes. Right, and Zan- so Xander's so. His job this week is clothing delivery. So, like, you know, when he's not holding down his jobs, he's sort of running errands for <laughs> the Scooby. Which for what goes they need. way back to, you know, like Cordy, right? Bugging him about being the one to always get the donuts, right? right? right like, right. this is not like the first time he's been errand boy. Right. right. That's right. I forgot about that. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I mean, kind of interesting that he picks Army. Is like the job because I I kind of feel like that's that's actually not that bad kind of, of a, a compliment thing. Like, yeah yeah like considering what Xander has been doing right. like that would actually be a step up a right bit. Um, right and it so would it show kind of, some confidence in his like fighting ability which yeah usually what really I mean and that should be the tip off to Xander that this is baloney because when he offers to go fight with Buffy she says no because you'll get hurt. So it's not like she's like recruiting Xander because of like his awesome military skills or anything, you know? Yeah. Which happens to be like the one thing that he's shown multiple times he is competent. Right, because, because he has the, the memories of Halloween yeah. thing. So right? if he thought about this for two seconds, I think he would realize that Spike is completely yanking his chain. Yeah. Um yeah. but again, when you're insecure and someone tells you what you want to hear you can't look beyond that. You know, he Spike tells yeah. him exactly what Xander expects to hear and confirms all of these fears that he has that the other two, you know, look down on him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and again, it's like, okay, and in some ways, you know, Buffy doesn't think Xander is going to be the best fighter to have next to her, but... She wants to protect him because she cares about him. You know, it, it like it's not with the kind of uh, malice or even like apathy that he's assigning it. Of like, you want to get rid of me. You know, um, right? And so there, and there may be not, a lack of confidence there, but not quite in the way that he imagines it. And and not for nothing, but. Buffy just saw a real soldier yeah. who's part of an elite team right. get killed by right. Yeah, so, so there's like, good reason to not go right. <laughs> storming in like guns blazing. Yeah. A, a little bit of precedent behind yeah. her feelings on the map. Yeah. Um yeah, no, I, absolutely. Right. This isn't like oh, Xander will be okay and distract the demon for a little bit while we defeat it. It's like, no, if Xander's there, he will die. Distracting the demon this time gets you killed, yeah. Yeah. Um, Um, The line, (laughs) uh, I don't have a lot for Anya in this, but when he kind of comforts himself by saying to Anya, well, they hate you, (laughs) like... And she says, well, they, but they don't look down on me. So, like, (laughs) he's saying, like, each of them pities the other. Like, you know, well, at least they don't hate me. I was like, yeah, but, you know, Anya's glad that they hate her as long as they don't, like, look down on her, you know. Right, Uh, right. They at least see her as being competent. Yeah, like, at least they have some respect. Like, even if they don't like her, you know. Um, Whereas Xander's kind of the opposite. He'd rather, he wants to... He wants them to value his person, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, and and for Xander, I mean, I think the key thing here, and we kind of commented on this earlier before, is that like he sees this not even as like a recent development, but this, you know, yeah. he says that this is. You know, since you two went off to college at the beginning of the season, yeah, this is all you know, season, and forgot yeah. about me and just left me in the basement. Yeah. Like this is, this has been what's going on. So you know, in the same, I mean, as much as Giles is sort of like the older guy who's left out, it's like in a way Xander's also mm-hmm. the guy who's kind of been left out. Yeah. You know, and and yeah, he's been trying to sort of tag along and and be there whatever but like there there aren't a lot of times where like they've run off and been like hey we need to get xander right it's been him coming to them saying hey what's up or happening happening to meet them up somewhere yeah you know uh and that sort of thing Mm -hmm. like or he he goes and sees willow and then they happen to run into buffy like you know like there's not there's no point where they like even a few times at least they went, you know, Buffy went to Giles and she was like, Hey, I do actually need your help with something. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't, I can't think of like any time this season <laughs> where they went to Xander in that yeah. way. And so like, right. unless it's like something like yeah. delivering the clothes. Right. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think, I mean, there maybe there is, and I'm sure we could perhaps find an example, but there's nothing like of any real like import. Yeah. Right. Like it's all these like minor minor things so yeah um yeah and i like how how anya like sticks up for him is like hey you know we were we were important like xander delivered clothes yeah (laughs) like this is this is the big important thing he did but on the other hand it's like it is important that is important yeah like the fact that xander can do that stuff and does like not even that he can like anyone can do that anyone can deliver clothes but he's the one who does it yeah like somebody has to do it yeah it's that thing of like it's important you know he has an important role because he's just the one who does stuff right like right regardless of what it is that you know back to his kind of function as the body of the group like you know we might put the 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 mind and the spirit above that in terms of like you know something that we admire and respect but like just at the most basic level you need him more like he's the one that keeps you going he's like does all the like kind of more i'm not saying this is all he can do but it's crucially important that somebody take care of like the day-to-day kind of menial tasks that other people don't necessarily think about um and that's not necessarily the most are willing to do that's not necessarily the most glorious role but yeah like if someone doesn't take care of it then stuff doesn't get done um you know or the others aren't able to function so Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think, <laughs> and his line about fighting pants. I'll get you some new fighting pants. Like this is his big contribution he can make. Yeah. Um, uh, Willow. Willow. And Tara. Yeah. So Spike picks up on, you know, uh, Willow's relationship with Tara, and makes a pretty good guess about 
some of the group dynamics, you know, and uses their kind of Wiccan hobbies as a, a metaphor for their relationship and kind of <laughs> hints that, you know, without tipping Giles and Xander yeah. off, hints that Buffy isn't as comfortable as yeah. she said she oh, They was. were talking about the witch stuff and yeah. I don't know yeah, and what it, that meant. Yeah, like, and, it's, and it's a phase. <laughs> your You'll personal choices. Or, yeah, yeah. 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 Xander thought you're being trendy. So this, like, like, really, like, you know, uh, transparent, like, metaphor and everything. Um, That is meant to be seen through, and Willow, of course, sees through it right away and everything. Um, But again, Tara with the intuitive, because she immediately goes, I I doubt that's what she meant, you know, but once Willow's got that idea, she's not letting it go, you know, because that Mm -hmm. feeds into her whole insecurity um so Mm -hmm. you know that tara's not really able to temper her um but uh you know and 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 it is funny to have willow kind of say things haven't been wrong for a while not realizing that xander's felt that way a lot longer than she has you know so you kind of realize how they're all in their own heads with their own problems and not necessarily taking the time to wonder how anybody else is feeling about you know the way things are going for them right and and i wonder too how much of that is uh so you know i mean she used to be back in the day the the computer expert Mm -hmm. and so there's like this sense of like I used to provide this valuable service, but like, I don't do that anymore. I do the witch stuff. And it's, but so like, I wonder how much of it too is like her feeling guilty that she doesn't, she hasn't like kept up on her computer skills and, you know, maybe she would be able to crack the encryption better if she had, had, you know, been more up to speed or whatever. Like, so like there is that aspect of it too, but then like, like when she, you know there there's it's always that question of well what exactly do you want me for and it, you know Bob's just like well for the computer stuff and for the witch stuff and it's like yeah. she's immediately well what the do you mean the stuff. witch yeah, stuff yeah. like like wh- how are you supposed to take that like yeah. you know yeah again again if she were to think about it for two seconds she would realize like how what Spike said doesn't make sense, you know? Um, but, but that word is a trigger now, like, cause he's put, he's right. planted that seed. Um, right. So she kind of assumes that Buffy means all sorts of things by it that Buffy doesn't mean. Yeah. Um, and then I like how, like, even when Buffy is trying to point out how ridiculous they are, it's like now suddenly, she thinks she's better than them right. because they're being ridiculous. Right, because she's like, open-minded for their choices right. and like, oh, right. you know, so she doesn't approve. She has to like, or 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 even just the notion that they need to run their choices by Buffy, that they require approval right. from her of some kind. Um, and then, but even like then between Willow and Xander, the sort of, the the vying for who is the more wrong who's yeah in, who's yeah, suffered more you, you you two are the two who are the two right. like you know it's like right and this that whole... and that they're not even unified in their feeling 
like inferior right. to Buffy because Xander, you know, finds out now about Willow's relationship. So it's not like they're so close that like they've right. been sharing all of their and, things with each other. And if they if they realize for two seconds what each of them was saying about Buffy, yeah. they would realize, well, wait a minute. Like if you two aren't to you know, if you're saying that Buffy's saying stuff about you, then how can the two of you be collaborating to say right. stuff about me? Like like there's a logic here again that yeah. they're missing that there's clearly dissension between the people who they're saying right. are collaborating. Right. Like that doesn't make sense. Well, and again, like, like, that... to me again, with like the Beatles analogies, like there's, you know, however long before they broke up at one point, Ringo decided I'm going to quit the band because you're all really close and I feel left out. And he went around mm. to each of them individually and said this. And every single one of them said, I thought it was you guys. So, in the core of all four of them feel like everybody else is together and I'm the one that's left out. And really what the problem is, is the band was breaking up and they all felt that way. And they kind of at some point looked at each other and realized this. Um, whereas like, yeah, like they're in the heat of the argument. The Scoobies never actually realize there's no way for us all to be doing the things we're accusing each other of doing. Right. Um, someone here has to be wrong. Someone's yeah. So yeah. let's figure out who and that is. And maybe the common there's a common element here. <laughs> like where did we get all this information? You know, right, um, right. And that's like the thing that like yeah. they don't actually put together. Yeah, like how you know they didn't actually hear each other talking behind each other's backs. They all heard this from somebody else. Um, right. So yeah. I'll be and, interested and to again, see whether he gets caught <laughs> for this. Yeah, like, you know, again, going back, like, we talked about sort of, like, the physical presence of Spike. But, like, they don't even they don't even consider that Spike is dangerous in this way. Like, this, th it would never occur to them that, like, right. Spike could outwit them and make them all turn against each other. Right. Intellectually or, you know, emotionally or whatever. Like, right. that, that this... The fact that they just think that because Spike can't bite people anymore, he's no longer a threat. He he he's completely truthful and trustworthy. Yeah. <laughs> like, where does that come come in? Like, no, that doesn't mean that at all. Yeah. But yeah, they seem to just sort of accept what he says. With yeah, you they're know, kind of confusing Spike with the chip in his head with like Angel with a soul, like like. Maybe they don't mm. see him as, as heroic or virtuous as Angel, but, like, the chip doesn't make him good. Right. You know? But they're kind of treating him like that, you know? Um, as though, yeah, like, he may not like them or get along with them, but basically he's a good guy now, and we can kind of trust him to, you know, a reasonable extent. Um, yeah. Which is not the oh. case. So it is yeah. not. And we'll we'll see where that goes. Although we should point out too that Spike ends up sort of having his own frustrations with Adam because it seems to be that Adam might not be entirely quick on his end of the deal mm. <laughs> of having uh, Spike's chip removed. Right. 
um, seems to be some hesitation from Adam in that regard. So how that affects Mike when he, if he realizes that Adam, you know, may not exactly follow through, at least not right away. How does Spike use that info? Yeah. Um, you know, because he's, you know, I mean, here's, here's sort of the genius of Spike, right? Even while he's in the midst of sort of planting these seeds that'll, you know, break up the group, he's also using the opportunity to make deals like, I will never get staked and right. you will give me lots of money for this information that may or may not. Yeah. That's probably false. Like we don't, we just see this di- disc that's supposedly encrypted. We don't know what's actually on this disc that he gave them. Yeah. Like considering it's Spike who's giving it to them, it could just be gibberish. It right. could be pictures of bunnies. You know, who, who knows what's on right. the disc. Right. Uh, something to waste their time and, and help break them up. Yeah, that perhaps. was how I took it. Was like this isn't any important files. This is like yeah. a, a a thing to keep them busy and and let the let the chaos start kind of doing mm-hmm. its thing. Um so yeah. So anyway, I feel like we kind of covered the initiative earlier. Did we have any last things yeah. to say about that or no, no, I think we we covered them pretty good. Okay. Cool. So on well on to Doctor On to the other group of three. The power of three. Yeah. Um Yeah. Uh it, another interesting pair of episodes mm-hmm. uh in that regard. So I wanted to I guess just talk a little bit about the situation. Um on two levels. Uh, one, the actual, like, sort of plot of the slow invasion mm-hmm. and the cubes and that kind of thing. I don't know that I want to spend a ton of time on that. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, it's more it's more the character stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I um, do think there are aspects of the plot in this, especially at the end, which are quite weak. Um, but... Like, in terms of the sci-fi plot. But I think there's some pretty good, like, character moments. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm cool to kind of emphasize that a bit. Yeah. So, like, the whole, I mean, the black cubes coming in, they don't do anything for a long time, and then suddenly they do stuff. Mm -hmm. Some of it's annoying, some of it's harmful, some of it's kind of humorous. Mm -hmm. Uh and then they start electrocuting people. Turns out it's this alien ship that's kind of like, you know, it's another one of these, like, it's it's sort of shifted from reality by a slight degree. Right. You know, so nobody really sees them. You can't, it's, they're very hard to detect or whatever. Right. Um, the Shakri, mm. are they... Like a classic villain or I, references, or do I you don't know think so. anything? Um, okay, I'm I can Google them really quick, but I'm not aware that they are. Yeah, I didn't really want to look them up just in case. Yeah, they appear again later because it says there's like seven of them, right? And there's not, they're not even like in 
in this episode. It's just yeah. this like automated ship or whatever. Yeah, no, they they only come <clears throat> from this episode and I think have appeared subsequently in some spin off media like in like audio books and stuff. Um Oh, okay. But but they're not from the classic series. But but they do have they make reference they're like one of those like races that are like Time Lord myths. Like um mm-hmm. Like the Taquafane or whatever, that like this is like a yeah. like a boogeyman or a bedtime story for, so, um, right, yeah. Okay, well, and and then in that case, I don't know that I have much to say about them if they're not. Yeah. <laughs> like, like it's just kind of like okay, so there's this group and they want to annihilate humanity. Yeah. We've seen that before. It's, yeah, okay, it's great. kind of business as usual then. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, for one reason or another. So that's the plot. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, okay, it works. And then, you know, like, yay, we reverse the MacGuffin and everyone's alive. Yeah, you get the kind of know. everybody lives um, ending, um, though. Although, not everybody lives, because I know a lot of people have called out, and I think rightly, the fact that our heroes kind of abandon everybody on that uh, spaceship to sort of get blowed up at the end. Um, oh, that's interesting. And, and it kind of goes by you rather quickly, but as soon as yeah. someone points it out, you're like, oh man, now I can never watch this episode again and not think about that. And it honestly just seems to have been like kind of an oversight, which is terrible. <laughs> But I think it kind of points to the fact that, like, the plot in this episode is just not as well-constructed as the character stuff, you yeah. know? I honestly, that, I missed that completely, but you're right. They wheel Brian yep. and Rory and whatever, like, they all kind of leave and... Yeah, yeah. Save everyone on Earth. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, but there's not really much of an attempt to save anybody in the... Yeah. Yeah, and the fact that they just kind of cheerfully do that, I think that's a mistake. I don't think like that's meant to be like a big plot point, you know. But yeah. a little bit of sloppiness with the with the plotting there, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um but mostly a happy ending. <laughs> it's happy for everyone else. Yeah. Um so yeah, I mean that's all fine. I mean some of the I you know if other than that I guess like if I had a a major criticism of it mm. it's just that they spend so much time with these cubes mm. and then they just end up kind of being yeah mundane yeah like death machine type yeah. thing uh would have liked to seen something a little more interesting mm-hmm. with that um and then another another like the whole there's an automated ship going to kill everybody or automated device of some kind yeah. going to kill everybody. Like, that is a little overplayed sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, okay. Uh, the other uh, sort of situational thing that I think gets us into talking more about the character mm-hmm. stuff, though, is is the whole idea of real life versus doctor life. Yeah. And so this is, this is, you, you know, I mean, we've, 
Doctor Who is so very often about like the Doctor and their companion swooping into some place, mm-hmm. stirring things up mm-hmm. or uncovering something that's already stirring things up and, you know, dealing with it and then moving on. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> except for episodes where like you discover the companion where more often than not, it's like the doctor coming to where that companion is sure. and, you know, kind of doing that same kind of thing. So like this kind of like has elements of both of those mm-hmm. though. Right. So this is like the mundane existence of the ponds mm-hmm. And then something bizarre and weird happening and the doctor being attracted to it. So he shows up and, you know, they have their adventure. But then they, well, I guess in the end they ultimately go off. But it's like that, it's it's like that thing of like, this is kind of like what it's like for those places where typically you're seeing it from the doctor's traveling point of view Mm -hmm. and coming in. But like now we're seeing it from the point of view of like, the people who live there all the time. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And that's and the, I, the aspect of, I agree that the cubes are disappointing in what they ultimately become, but I like them as like they're set up as a device of just a, the kind of total mundaneness of them, that they're just like, totally non-threatening and ordinary and you can Mm. kind of have them all around your house like you know just as paperweights and right like Like there's that scene of like you know they're like just in the cafeteria and in the trash yeah like people selling them on like you know uh the apprentice or whatever show it is you know Mm -hmm. um and um but also this idea of the slow invasion that it's it's not just like a catastrophic alien attack it's like this this if you're i guess if you're gonna do like an episode like this it makes sense that it's something that takes a long time to sort of play out um Mm. so that we get to see it like over months or years of of the pond's lives and everything um and worth noting too that this is chris chibnall again who wrote pond life so you know okay kind of thematically a little bit similar in terms of looking at what are the pond's what is their real life like when they're not in their doctor life? Um, mm-hmm. Trying to see if those two things can be combined, I guess. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I was just going to go through and talk about each of them. Did you have more? Well, okay. So I did all this research, so I feel like I need to share it. Um, before we start talking about <laughs> each of them. I did. Okay. This is kind of like you with Moloch, where you know I've done this a couple times too, where like you get on the little Google rant and you just can't get off of it. Um, mm-hmm. And especially with these two episodes combined, I wanted to think about this idea of the power of three, and and you know we get these central trios, and so often I think in fantasy and sci-fi and other things you get like a central, you know, trio of characters. Um, and I think, I think that's important. I don't know that the doctor and Amy and Rory fall quite as neatly into the like body, mind, soul or body, mind, spirit, uh, triptych. You could probably make an argument for something. I don't, I, 
I would maybe be persuaded a couple different ways with that. Like, to me, Buffy, Willow, and Xander are much more obvious to me, like, which of them I identify them with. But, but regardless, I don't think that means that the fact that there are three of them isn't hugely important. Um, so just kind of like Googling, you know, three as like, you know, what it's sort of symbolism is and everything um you know you get so much stuff like uh it's pretty much a hugely significant number no matter what angle you look at it so you know if you kind of look up folklore and and you know fairy tales and everything three is always the magic number right so you know there's always three wishes or three guesses or three pigs or brothers or witches or whatever um and it's often you know, a lucky number, whether it's good luck or bad luck or whatever. Um, if you look up kind of occultism or dream symbolism, um, uh, you know, one kind of dream symbolism website I found talked about how, you know, this idea of three being the union of the numbers that come before it, one and two. So, in a sense, it's there's this idea of like unity and oneness that it incorporates everything and is more complete because of the things. I guess it's greater than the sum of its parts. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, Pythagoras thought of it as the first true number. Um, it's important in alchemy. One of the great kind of fathers of Western alchemy is Hermes Trismegistus, the, the thrice great Hermes. So this idea of three being what makes him great um and you know in biblical symbolism you know it's basically because of the trinity is the number of divine perfection so again you know this idea of completeness and unity um and you know in in the bible you know things always complete things always being split into three parts so whether it's you know, mankind being comprised of body, soul, spirit, um, and our human abilities being thought, word, and deed, um, you know, so totally that puts me in mind of the soul triptych. Um, but I also like the way that they work in, I mean, I guess all that to say that for the same reason as we don't want to see Buffy and Riley, Buffy and Riley, Buffy and Xander and Willow break up because they're a team and they work better together. In this episode, we're getting that unity affirmed, you know, that the doctor yeah. and Amy and Rory recognize that there is power in the number three and that, you know, they are feeling torn in some ways and they're aware of it, but there's also, they sense that there's this sort of, you know, that the togetherness is better and is important. Um, and I guess just the last thing too is I like the way then that, you know, the play on words of the power of three with the cubed idea, um, that they work that into both the alien and the title and kind of the theme of the episode. Um, so again, like looking up, like, you know, if you kind of Google cubes and everything, um, like the number two kind of represents a square, whereas, you know, a third dimension is what makes it a cube. So 
again with this idea of unity and oneness it's what th makes things solid and real and substantial um mm. and uh you know it's kind of you know again the cube having three dimensions it's sort of the building block of life really it's the thing which makes other things real um and i like when the cubes are counting down from seven and amy points out that well a cube has six high six sides and the doctor says well not if you count the inside and that makes me think of the tardis like so here we have this object which you know looks ordinary and mundane and like a thing you just sort of have on the street and it has six sides but the inside is the most important because that's where all the magic is you know that's the mm -hmm. realness that's the bigger on the inside um so i even like kind of thinking of the power of three and the cube it's kind of like the three of them are almost a, a symbol for the tardis in a way like with that third dimension you get all this other power that you don't have otherwise sure. so i don't know you know I, I think we can talk about the individual characters and everything but I quite like the way that they use like the numerology and the symbolism and everything um, in this episode. So, sure, sure. I'm curious now what you think the soul triptych is, though, between the Doctor, Amy, and Murray. Well, I, I if if I were if I were to do it, and I was I was thinking about. I just don't. I I think you could go a couple ways with it. That's why I'm reluctant yeah. to to assign. Well. Them. I mean, to the, me, the doctor this... is the mind, is the most obvious link. Um, okay. But I could be persuaded otherwise. Yeah. I, I think part of the problem is that, I mean, problem might not be the right word, but I feel like the doctor is like a soul triptych in him. Sure. <laughs> He's, he's you know what the, I mean? the, like, the the many inside the one. Yeah. Yeah. He's the, um, the one that is, you know, comprises all the other dualities and, you know, yeah. Yeah. And, and so that like, if, if it, if you, if you can switch things around, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is I feel like the doctor would fit Anything. any of those three yeah. parts. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's a big part of why his character is so successful because you can keep reinventing and regenerating him because he can be anything you want him to be basically um yeah 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 so anyway all right well that's we don't have to dwell on that i guess just was curious um so i think that the big thing with the doctor in this episode is that we get the sense of him. So we've gotten, um, I don't, I don't know so much with the 11th doctor, but certainly with the other doctors, mm -hmm. we've gotten, uh, momentary mentions of how, you know, they think they might be able to live a mundane mm. life. So we get it like, um, like with, is it, Satan Pit or mm -hmm. the episode yeah. that's tied with that, Wh whichever one it is, yeah, where like, kill uh, me now, I could never have a mortgage. yeah, I could never have a mortgage yeah, yeah. and that kind of thing. and 
And so there's that. You also get it um, with Girl in the Fireplace, mm-hmm. where, you know, when it's like, oh, you know, well, I could live out here and just bide my time yeah. until I'm... That's not true. Right. Uh, right. We know. But, uh, you know, we get these little hints here and there. So this is... But then you also have things like Vincent and the Doctor, where... You know, he's like, oh, is this how time normally passes for everyone? Like, you know, while he's waiting for Vincent to paint a picture, he can't even, you know, do that. You know, so this is this is that the doctor making a conscious effort um, the first time (laughs) to do that. And you see, like, I can't do it. I have to be active. Okay, go be active. He does all this stuff and it takes an hour. You know, like he comes back and he's he's just like a little kid you know, right right on Adderall or whatever. right so like um <clears throat> or who maybe should be on Adderall right uh and so then he leaves um and waits until like something interesting <laughs> starts to happen right. and then he comes back um oh it's it's for their anniversary right, right? right. so it's their anniversary party he comes back with a gift very well-intentioned, you know, to give them this gift of a night away that in which they're not actually going to be away at any time, you know, subjectively to their friends, Mm -hmm. but, uh, kind of gives them this opportunity, which then turns into, what is it? Seven weeks that they end up being gone or something. Yeah. Cause of course, wherever they go turns into like the alien invasion, you know? Right. Um, so it kind of gives them this series of adventures, uh, which there, you know, there's another seven for like the the repeating sevens mm-hmm. throughout the episode. I I didn't actually pick up on that. Uh, That's true at the time, but um, so you get the the uh, you know you get him asking if he can stay with them again. This time, you know, to observe the cubes again. But we don't actually know how long between that first time he's there and sort of going crazy and has to leave and the second time. Like, we don't know how long he's been away. Yeah. Um, or what he may have done, I guess, to prepare himself right. <laughs> for a longer stay. Right. Um, I take it as being in response to because it comes right after he brings them back to the party and brian picks up on the fact that they've been away and brian kind of asks about the other people who've traveled you know and the doctor kind of has to admit you know how you know they usually don't leave for good reasons like it's usually something sad like whether they leave him or he leaves them or mm. something tragic happens, you know, and, and they sure. die all together. So I, and then the very next scene is him saying to Amy, can I stay with you? So mm-hmm. I don't yeah. get the sense that he's prepared so much as that sobered him for at least a few minutes of maybe I should settle and try to stick this out for a little bit. Um, that's how mm-hmm. I read it. Maybe. Yeah. I my only point is that we don't know. No, we don't. We don't know what he did. Yeah, how long it's and, been. And, and I what said, he's been doing. I said, I, I you know the way I phrased it was like you know or what he did to prepare. Like 
that could be nothing. Right, right. Like that right. that might be the answer right. is that he did nothing to prepare. Right. So I, I, I didn't mean to that to imply that he, he did, did anything, prepare yeah. anyway. Yeah. Um, but I but the other but I think as much as we might want to just say he did nothing because there's no evidence, I like that isn't necessarily always the best like the 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 absence of evidence isn't evidence of absence, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's there's the idea that he he clearly was thinking about the ponds while he was away. Mm-hmm. And so even like, even if there wasn't like conscious for it, like I can't imagine him like, okay, I'm now sitting on the couch and I've been able to do it for two Practicing hours instead of only still, one. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't picture that happening, but there might've been more of like mental under the surface yeah. preparations going, going on, on of yeah. just like, yeah. I really miss them. And if I ever had the chance, yeah, I mean, we all do this sort of thing, right? If I ever have the chance again, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll make a better go of it mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like I'll, I'll do a better job. Yeah. And sometimes we can, and sometimes we can't, and there are reasons for those and, and whatever. So like by p- preparation, maybe not so much like formal, like practice or like building up your stamina you know, to live in normal time kind of thing, mm-hmm. but more along the lines of like mental preparation of like, you know what, this, this next time I see them, I want to stick around a while because yeah. I value them and they're my friends and I want to be there for them. Yeah. And with them. Um, so that, that's all I really kind of meant, sure. but, but again, like there's no evidence of that either. So I don't, I don't want to say that that definitely did happen because we don't know. So, um, yeah, either way, the second time does seem to work better. Yes. Uh, mostly because he discovers the, the Wii, Wii. Apparently. the Wii keeps it. I love Wish that. Ke- Where's the doctor yeah. on the Wii again? Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. You get this sense that like, this is his way of coping, yeah. <laughs> uh, with how normal time flies. Yeah. Uh, um, or doesn't fly to him. <laughs> right. So, as the case may be. One thing, too, I want to bring up is um, this. I, another twist on this idea of uh, the ponds being, I guess, the companions who waited. Um, you know, that's like sure. the oldest theme of the pond era, you mm. know. Um, and it's the thing which defines Amy and Rory. But. You know, now we suddenly have this idea of the doctor having to be waiting for a bit and how difficult he finds that. And especially, I think, this doctor, even more so than the others that we've seen, that being especially, like, this doctor is almost, if any of them were, like, you know, antithetical to the idea of waiting, it's this doctor. Mm. You know, the first thing he does is meet Amy and then just keep skipping forward in her life, you know, as she kind of takes the slow path and he goes forward, you know, 12, 12 years. years and then <laughs> yeah. two years and yeah, like, you yeah. know, and, and even since he's dropped them back off at the house, they're living, you know, and he keeps skipping forward on, you know, weeks or months mm. or years or whatever. Um, so in a way, like, the waiting being the most difficult thing for this particular incarnation of the doctor. Um, yeah. So, you know, 
it's kind of an interesting twist to put on that, I think. Um, I also like when when he goes into like the chamber with with the counting down cube yeah. and he's like, Okay, I'm gonna be the one to see what happens when this hits zero. He goes in and it's like at number like three, I think, uh-huh. or two maybe even. And like it <laughs> it kind of drove me nuts how long it took for it to finish that <laughs> countdown. Yeah, yeah. And but I like that they did it that way because it kind of gives you the same impatience. I mean, that's yeah. always the way, right? Like, you know, you know, if you're really hungry and you're waiting for like something to heat up in the microwave. Yeah, yeah, or watch. And it's only, it only yeah. takes a minute. Yeah. You know, but it's the longest freaking minute in the world. Right, right. And yeah, yeah, watch pot never boils. So like that kind of that whole sort of you know, idea of like, yeah, when you're just sitting around doing whatever, not going off and having adventures and um yeah, like you could you know, you go to some really cool place that you enjoy or you get absorbed in a book and time flies mm-hmm. like nothing, you know, it's you spend an entire Saturday reading and it feels like you just woke up, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. So <clears throat> definitely definitely that aspect to it of Yeah. Um of all of that. And yeah, and like, I didn't really think about it that way. But yeah, this is now the Doctor Who waited, right? Right. Like this is... Right. Right. Uh, and in that way, <clears throat> and in that way, you know, he's brought them into his world. And now he's a bit closer to their... So again, with this power of three, that, that unified idea, like, he's somewhat lived a bit of the pond life and done a little bit of a Mm. little bit of waiting you know not to the extent that they have but you know at least somewhat you know he can kind of say that he's walked in their shoes at least a couple steps if not a whole mile and and in a way that makes him their companion yeah yeah rather than them being his companions um and and yeah like it's it's Right, it's that I, like he's he's living real life now. Mm. He's ne- no longer living doctor life. Right. I like that right. sort of the the turning of the tables, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, then right because now there's this contrast between the doctor and Brian, right. who right. is like the epitome yeah. of like yeah. waiting, yeah. Mister Waiting, the contemplative, yeah. 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 And and perfectly happy yep. and fine with totally it. Totally Like I love I love the the turn of the phrase, right? Like, doesn't time fly when you're alone with your thoughts? Yeah. yeah. And and it's just like it's that that idea of, you know, well yeah, okay, time flies when you're having fun, but like fun for the doctor is not being alone with his thoughts. Right. Like yeah. That's the complete opposite. Yeah, that's the of last fun. thing he that's wants. The thing yeah. that's going to yeah. drive him crazy. Yeah. Uh, and so, but this is yeah, this is Brian. He's perfectly like you know, <laughs> and and that picture of him just like looking at the bag of fluid like yeah. in the hospital. <laughs> there, he's just sort of reading whatever it says yeah. and just maybe trying to figure it out a little bit, but perfectly fine to. You know, there's all this activity going on around yeah. him, like interesting stuff, I'm sure, or stuff that he could be helping out with. He's just looking at a bag of food, <laughs> like not even really yeah. but, noticing what's going on but, around him. But 
the other thing I love too is that it's it's with the doctor and Brian, you don't get a sense of of conflict. You know, they get along. Yeah. They they respect each other. Yeah. You know, I like that too that they're couldn't be more different. But, you know, you get Brian kind of trying to come up with all of his theories of of what the cubes <laughs> yeah. might be and um and but but taking very seriously the doctor's instructions to watch the cubes like taking them literally yeah. and then like, you know, don't don't mock me. I'm doing what he asks. You know, so he doesn't right. judge the doctor for being crazy and unable to sit still. He says here's how I can contribute to the doctor. You know, mm-hmm. I can be the one to stay behind and do the like really detailed research. And, yeah. you know, yeah. he sends all his updates to unit at the doctor's well, request and everything. And, and that's why I didn't really think about it. So just now, but like, that's, that's sort of like we were talking about Xander, like someone needs to right. be the one to go get the clothes, Absolutely. you know, like, and, and he's perfectly fine to do yep. it. Like, it's not, yeah. it's not even like, like there might be, you know, there might be a sense in which some people would would consider that to be, like, a bad thing. Like, you're not, oh, well, you're not the scientist, you're not the doctor, you're not whatever, yeah. so you're lesser than these other right. people. Well, no, you're just, that's what you want to do, that's what you enjoy doing, it's what you can do, yeah. so you do yeah. it. Yeah, Br- like, Brian that's... is totally at, at, <clears throat> at peace with that, and not, and not even at peace like it was ever a problem but just he embraces that aspect mm-hmm. of himself yeah yeah this is important work and i can do this and so i'm going to yeah. and that's that's perfectly fine for him um and uh and i like like that he's <laughs> that his box does the completely least interesting <laughs> yeah. thing yeah. of any of the yeah. boxes my box rattled. It rattled. Like, it moved. It rattled. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and it's just like all the other boxes were like shooting spouting laser flame and, and shooting yeah. lasers and taking your blood and, yeah. you know, pulse or whatever. Uh, and his, his rattled a little yeah. bit. Like, and he didn't even catch it. Like, he was trying to catch all this stuff on video. He didn't even catch it on video. Yeah. It's like, do it again. Do it again. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, but... He's excited about yeah. it and goes and immediately runs and tells the doctor and, and all that. And then, you know, of course, at the end, that all comes back around when, uh, you know, he sort of recognizes that the pawns aren't quite ready mm. for real life yet. Like, they've kind of given it a bit of a try, but it's like, you do still want to go out there. And why shouldn't you if you have the chance? Like, yeah. why, why not do that? But then he's like... I'm okay. Someone's got to water the plants. Yeah. Like this, I'm I'm okay being the one to stay behind. Yeah, um, yeah. Back to which, back to Jackie about the ones. Let me tell you about what well, it's that, like being left behind. But again, his that not being a thing of of bitterness for him. And and yeah, that's exactly the same place where I was going to go was like comparing that with Jackie, where like she sort of has resentment, you know, for being left behind. Um, even though she does end up getting taken quite a bit in sure, the TARDIS, yeah, like yeah. in the in in the end, but like uh, you know, she does have that resentment for for being one of the ones who's up who are left behind. And but with Brian, it's not resentment. It's it's okay. I'll take care of things for you till you get back and you're ready to do it yourself. 
Um, and he's fine with that. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's sort of like, you know, we've known the Ponds for a long time now, but here, yeah. far into their tenure, you get this introduction of Brian, even though he's technically not a Pond, um, he is. And in spirit, he's almost the epitome of the Ponds. He's almost like the Ponds without the doctor life, like, like them as, you know, the characters who waited, who are kind of defined by their relationship to the slow path, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. But but totally happily and, you know, and contentedly, I guess. Um, yeah. And I think they're closer to that now than they were when they started, even though they still have the opportunity to travel and they still take it, you know. Like, yeah. I want to talk about Amy's conversation with the doctor, because there's that line where she says, like, there were days where I couldn't have done that. Like, when I first started, I couldn't have lived without you and the traveling, and real life would have driven me insane. And that's not the mm -hmm. case anymore, you know, that she's kind of grown up a little bit um, and found even though she doubts whether she can combine the two, she's found a kind of way to do that, I think. Um, mm, yeah. So. Yeah. Well, okay, so what else about that scene? Because, I don't know about you, I love that scene between the Doctor and Amy. Um, that's just... Oh, uh... Their kind of conversation. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, the, 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 the whole... I'm not running, running away. all that. Yeah. Um, yeah. that's for yeah. me, one of the kind of great scenes. Um, yeah. I mean, I copied down like kind of both of their, like different aspects of their discussion for each of the notes I have for their characters. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Um, well, well, let's talk about the doctor first because it's, I think this actually comes after the other part, but like mm -hmm. we haven't really talked about Amy specifically mm -hmm. yet. Um, but, like, you know, she sort of accuses him of running away or whatever. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, this is what we kind of alluded to earlier about, you know, he says, I'm not running away. This is one corner of the country in one continent on a, on one planet. That's the corner of the galaxy. That's the corner of the universe that is forever growing and shrinking and creating and destroying and never remaining the same for a single millisecond. And this, like, you, like, just that one long run-on sentence yeah. gives you sort of a sense of what is sort of at the core of the manic doctor, right? Yeah. Of um, This is the problem it, with it, waiting. <laughs> it it frequently it frequently comes across like this isn't the first time we've heard this sentence, you know, sentiment, right? Yeah. Like of there's a lot of stuff to see and yeah. and you know, look at there's a supernova exploding right now. We could go watch it if you want. Right. You know, close up front row seats. And, you know, we've, we've gotten those sort of conversations with different people before. But those have always been, like, slower. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, through an interface of trying to entice someone else to sort of step into his world for a little yeah. bit. This is... We we have had the pawns for a long time. I think we commented last week that like this sort of officially 
you know, the beginning of season seven now puts them into the category of for new who the longest companions that we've had. And, and, um, you hinted at like, we might get an idea of how long and we do in this episode, Amy says it's been 10 years. So on and off, Mm -hmm. you know, with different things, but like over the course of 10 years of actually being, I mean, we know Amy has known him much longer because she met him as a little girl, but like, but like sort of semi-constant as a semi-constant presence in their lives. Uh, it's been 10 years. And so, I mean, you know, someone for 10 years and you get to know them pretty Mm -hmm. well. And so this is like, this is like unfiltered friendship version of like, you know, of that same sentiment of let's go look at the, the exploding star. But now this is like, you know, when you get to know someone, you don't, when you're first getting to know people, like there's a tendency, I think that a lot of people have, not everyone, I suppose there are some people who are just sort of always unfiltered, but mm-hmm. <laughs> you, there is, I think a tendency with a lot of people to sort of not show your entire yeah. quirkiness, yeah. you know, right up yeah. front. Um, and so this is, this is the doctor you know, being with someone who he's been friends with for 10 years mm-hmm. uh, and just not, you know, that any filter that he might have with a new person is completely gone. Yeah. It's removed because they know each other so well. And so this is his, you know, frank and complete, like, ex- uh, expression of sort of the joy of what, he likes to do and so yeah and you're right even the way that it's the run-on sentence gives you a better sense of that just the 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 form of how he describes it is closer to what it's like for him than we've ever heard before and and it continues so there's that run-on sentence but then you get a series of of more staccatic sentences Mm -hmm. that are all begun with conjunctions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and there's so much to see, you know, Mm -hmm. so much, so much to see Amy because it goes so fast. Mm -hmm. Like there, you know, there's this, this sense that like, it's this one run out sentence, but then there's more. Right. And there's more. He's still, still the same thought. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it, it just continues. So, um, but then we get to the heart of what his fear Mm -hmm. is. And like, also I think sort of the manicness of it, of, of he's feeling mortality mm. and not his own necessarily, but theirs. Yeah. Uh, he says, uh, I'm not running away from things. I'm running to them before they flare and fade forever. So like he, you know, he's talking about the things. And again, there's that idea of the supernova, right? It's going to explode, but it can only explode once. Right. Like, you know, it's it's not going to happen all the time, and so you d- there is sort of a limited opportunity yeah. uh, to go see it, um, and it's all right. But our lives won't run the same. They can't. One day and soon, maybe you'll stop. I've known for a while, and so like you, you get this interesting switch from mm-hmm. I'm running to things that are, you know, flaring and going to be gone to the thing I'm running to is you Mm. and you're going to flare and be gone. Right. So like, it's an interesting aspect because it turns that idea of I'm going, 
I'm going to, I, you know, we haven't we haven't had it expressed explicitly in a little while. But like one of the things that we got, especially in the earlier seasons of the New Who, is the idea that the Doctor is going and looking at all of like the most momentous things mm. throughout like history and time and space. Yeah. And the ponds are one of those things. Yeah. Like this sort of implies that, you know, the ponds are a moment, at, at least for him. Yeah. They're a notable, momentous thing on scale with, you know, the birth of, yeah, you know, galaxies and the death of stars and like, you know, these major cosmic events that are going on. Being with the ponds and choosing to want to stay and live, yeah, quote the non-doctor life, is on par with all of those yeah. things. Um, so I, I don't know. Yeah. I like that. I like that sentiment. Um, and Amy asks, I don't, I can't remember, I, the way I took my notes, I don't remember if this is immediately after mm-hmm. or if this is later in the conversation, but Amy asks, you know, then why do you keep coming back for us? Um, and and sort of, we get the reason for why this is momentous for him, right? Why, why they're momentous, or at least Amy in particular, mm-hmm. is momentous. And, and it, the fact that he's having this conversation with her yeah. and not with Rory as well is, I think, obviously tied in here. Yeah. Um, he says, because you were the first, the first face this face saw, and you're seared into my heart, Amelia, my heart's <laughs> Amelia Pond. You always will be. I'm running to you and Rory before you fade from me. Um, and again, that, you know, for him, that it's this idea of, yeah, they're quite lit in, at least in this incarnation yeah. of the doctor, yeah. they're, quite literally the most important things in his life yep. so i uh, yeah that such an elegant idea that the first face this face saw that there's almost like an yeah. imprinting like like yeah. popping out of the tardis and seeing that little girl that was right. it you know love at first sight well, you can never escape amy pond and in retrospect you know I won't talk so much about the ninth doctor because we don't quite know what his history was before he met Rose, but you know, sure. with the 10th doctor, it gives you some, uh, retconned insight into his love for Rose, you know, and that she mm. was the first face that his face saw and he could never really in that incarnation totally get over her. You know, and that Amy is very much that way for this doctor, that there's something like in his DNA, which is, you know, Mm. um, you know, tied to her, I guess. Um, And and we've talked about like sort of how there's there's a almost a parental relationship with the doctor and Amy, you know, parental child relationship. But like this kind of flips that on the head too, where it's almost like, it's like that idea of like, he's, he's the new one, right? He's the baby that's sort of being given to the mother to hold, you know, immediately so that there's that bond being created. And, and in a way that's the case, like he comes out of the TARDIS and there's Amelia Pond, you know, like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like that idea. And it kind of does answer this question. You know, I think Amy's question of why do you keep coming back is important, Mm -hmm. you know, because, you know, I think that has been a question ever since he sort of dropped them off at this new life. And, you know, I think you have a sense of 
are they going to be companions anymore? Are they going to keep traveling? Is he going to come back for them again? Are they going to stay for, like, you have this constant, you know, we're so used to having full-time companions. And then to have mm. the situation where they've kind of been dropped off, but he just keeps coming back for them. And there's something that kind of compels him back to them. And you kind of realize, like, it yeah. is this, like, very, you know, he does understand that they have their real life and their jobs and their lives. And he wants, he wants to respect that and he wants them to enjoy that. But he also, you know, has been with them for so long and cares about them so deeply that he can't really stop himself from, you know, just moving on from them entirely. Um, mm. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's good. I quite like that scene. Yeah, no, it's definitely a good scene. I think, um, so sort of the flip side of that, right. Is, is the stuff and it's, it's all, it's all kind of mixed. Like I said, I don't remember mm -hmm. exactly if all of that flows exactly together, but then there's also this, the discussion that they have about Amy and Rory, yeah. um, of, of the doctor saying, you're thinking of stopping, aren't mm. you, you and Rory? Um, and no, I, I, I mean, we haven't made a decision, but you're considering it. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah. We don't know. <laughs> like, uh, she goes on to say like, you know, our lives have changed so much. There were time, there were years when I couldn't live without you. Um, but since you dropped us back here, since you gave us this house, we built a life. I don't know if I can have both. Mm. And, and it's, that's the interesting thing, right? There's this, um, Actually, even before the podcast, we were talking about stuff not even related to the mm -hmm. podcast, but we were talking about sort of like financial propriety and, yeah. and you know, how there are, there are those people who have it and there are many people who don't. Yeah. And, and, but there is a sense, I think, in which a lot of people do sort of tend to discover things like that as they grow over and go through certain stages. And so there's like that you know, maybe in your early to mid twenties where, you know, you have your first real job and you have, you're sort of relatively flush with cash mm. and maybe are going out and eating out and, you know, I don't know, maybe going out and drinking, you know, on the weekends and, you know, sort of living it up a little bit, um, which is all perfectly fine if that's what you want to do and how you want to spend your money. But then there's like this idea of then maybe you find a steady partner or, and, or start to have children mm -hmm. and, or buy a house or, you know, do like these different things that are all sort of quintessential aspects of growing up. And like, you can't, you, at some point you realize you can't like have a 401k and eat out for lunch every day, right. <laughs> you know, like you need to, right. you, you need to sort of make decisions about how you spend your time and money, um, and do so wisely. And, and, and just the very idea of like scarcity and that the fact is you don't always have time or means to do everything you want to mm -hmm. do. And that's, you know, uh, that seems to be where Amy is mm -hmm. at this and Rory too. Although we kind of, I think, on that regard, I think we see that Rory has always been maybe a little more practical yeah. in that sense. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe to his detriment, like sure. it was good for him to maybe loosen up a little right. bit. 
Um, you know, so now we're seeing like the two of them growing. Like, I like the whole scene where it's like, oh, I made a commitment yeah. like for several months down the yeah. road, uh, you know, to be for Rory, it's, you know, to have this job. And for Amy, it's to be a bridesmaid mm-hmm. in this wedding or whatever. Uh, you know, it's like, I know I'm going to be right. here for it. Right. That's so bizarre. <laughs> I've never had this feeling before. And, and again, that there's sort of like this metaphor of growing up in, in that, I think of, you know, like you start to take on, I almost said more responsibilities, different responsibilities, maybe, I don't know. Like you start to, you start to find things that like maybe you once criticized your parents for doing mm-hmm. that you find are now more appealing sure. <laughs> than you ever thought they might be. And, th- and just that sort of thing. So, um, yeah. And I think the fact that like, you know, and I've brought this up before, we've talked about it a lot that because of uh, the fact that we start with Amy as a kid growing up is really the pond theme you know, as much as waiting more than any other companion that, you know, even though all of the companions have this kind of the same sort of tension between like real life and doctor life. um, Mm. I think for the ponds in particular, that's directly correspondent to their process of growing up. Um, Yeah. Like you can see how the, and like, you know, so you, especially too with all of the like Peter Pan imagery at the beginning, you know, of, Mm. of, going away in the middle of the night in your nightdress, you know, with the ageless stranger, you know, um, mm, and sure. eventually, uh, you, you grow up and he doesn't, you know, necessarily come for you anymore. Mm. Yeah. He might come for your daughter. Um, but, <laughs> well, <laughs> no, but not for you. Different, but, different thing. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I, and, you know, and there's less to say on Rory's front, but I, I, we get the sense that he feels at least somewhat similarly, yeah. <laughs> like in this regard, like I, it, you know, this is definitely the pawns. It's not mm-hmm. like just Amy's thoughts, no. but it's like, they're sort of a united front in this. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And I think, yeah, like you said, like Rory's always tended to be more practically minded. And I think he's tended to be more okay with the more mundane realities of life and growing up you know not that and now we see where he gets that and now oh man he's like (laughs) he's like you know wild man compared to his yeah um yeah yeah. the apple doesn't fall far from the tree but um but but in this case amy's carrying it far just that little bit more eager than Amy to choose, you know, like Amy says, what do we do? He says, choose like, you know, and not in a mean spirited way. And he goes along on the adventures, you know, but Mm -hmm. I do think he's just that little bit more defensive, you know, about the, the home life. Um, And I think that's just the difference of personality. Like Amy's always going to be the Mm -hmm. slightly more, adventurous fanciful one and rory's always going to be the slightly more you know down-to-earth practical um that's been true their entire relationship and will continue to be true i'm sure but um right but but like you said they're the pawns it's not like they're they're not 
in a huge disagreement about this. It's not like Rory wants to stay home. It's not mm -hmm. Amy's choice, right? Because we're not in a place where Rory picks one life and the doctor is another life and Amy feels it, it clearly she's with Rory and she's feeling right. those same tensions that he's feeling. It's not like a one versus the other kind of thing. No. Um, whatever they do, they're going to do it together and they're much more united than they were at the beginning, I think. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, um, so yeah. Lots of good stuff for the three of them. Any other thoughts about the Doctor Amy and Rory? I know we didn't talk a ton about Rory, but uh, like we said, there's no kind of a united front there. So I feel like the stuff we said about Amy kind of fits. For I think I well. think so too. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yep. Nope. Um, the only thing I wanted to spend just a minute on before we uh, finish up is. Uh, Kate Stewart and Unit. Um, mm -hmm. We get the reappearance oh, actually, of Unit here. Actually, one thing. Sorry. Mm -hmm. One one final thought I had. Oh yeah. Uh, is I do remember thinking partway through the second time I was watching this. Mm -hmm. uh, so now we have we have Brian who's been brought onto the TARDIS and sort of introduced to the Doctor life. Oh sure. Um, and and even though. You know, he's not really going to partake of it mm -hmm. anymore. Um, like, he's introduced. So, does he know that he has a granddaughter? <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean... That's a great question. Like, I, I would... I would assume not because we haven't sort of been right. informed that he knows of That's this. But never then again, occurred to me before, <laughs> which is hilarious. I have no idea. I have no yeah, idea. Okay. Well, well. I uh, don't think canonically um, there is any evidence to support it one way or the other that I know of. So yeah. I think we're free to make up. Maybe now that he knows, they thought, well, we can we can explain the fact that our granddaughter is like. Right. Older than well, us, and you know, <laughs> like right. this that's lady what I was that you've never like, met. Well, but he probably has met her, right? Because she was Amy's friend, like growing up. That's true, right? And they all played together, right? right. Um, Imagine explaining that. <laughs> well, yeah, we don't. We never get that scene. I'll say that. Okay, that would all right. Be a great scene. Um. Somebody, I somebody hope we do go get write it at some that. point. Then, um, yeah, that would be hilarious. Uh, anyway, all right, not to totally like derail the entire conversation, but that did occur to me, yeah. like partway through this episode of, like now that Brian is is sort of inducted into you know the Doctor's extended set of companions. Right, right, that, right. That's funny. Yeah. Anyway. Wow. Okay. Kate Stewart and Unit. Um, yes. So we get the reappearance of Unit here, you know, which we've had before. <laughs> my, the extent of my notes is her father was someone important? Someone important. Question mark? <laughs> so her father is the brigadier um, who was the, the, oh, the okay. head of Unit 
that I mentioned before because we learned in the wedding of River Song that he died recently. Yeah, he um, died. So he was the yeah. one who like recurred with most of the classic doctors. Um, and I believe I'm right in saying that Kate Stewart as a character existed before this, that in some of the spin-off stuff that was on in the hiatus, there was this character, Kate, and like she was the Briggs, you know, daughter. Mm. Um, and she was like a scientist rather than military or whatever. Um, but so here they're kind of incorporating her into like the main show. So now that now that we don't have the Brig anymore, we can kind of promote her and have her be sort of the, the face of unit, I guess. Um, but more of a scientific presence than a military. So she's in charge of unit, but less of the kind of people with guns. And she's more on the doctor's wavelength in terms of science being the leader. Um, so, yeah, so she's not really a classic character, but she has existed before this. Um, but this is the first time this actress, you know, Gemma Redgrave is um, playing the character. Um, okay. And, yeah, I mean, not a, a hugely significant role, but just that she's continuing that legacy. Um, and, you know, now a new generation of Lethbridge Stewart you know, is interacting with the doctor and everything. So, um, and we will see her again. So good sure. to remember. Her. Yeah. I kind of got this. Like she wouldn't be in every episode or anything, right. but like whenever, when, when, when we, unit turns up for at least mm -hmm. for a while, um, she'll be part of that. So. Makes sense. Cool. All right. Okay. Well, with all of that said, I we'll guess wrap we'll, up. we'll wrap up and we'll be back next week with uh, another episode of Angel mm -hmm. and Doctor Who. All right. See you then. Mm -hmm.